think the the first few points were kind of universal for all bleeds and they're very and you know you summarize them very nicely and very importantly the last few points so things like the ultrasound abdomen with dopplers the cystic tap they kind of and the septic screen they kind of focus more on when you're looking at variceal bleeds and there is certainly non-variceal versus variceal there's there's certainly a common stem at the beginning and the initial assessment process and history examination is is essentially identical but the kind of invest this is where they start to branch off slightly and the investigations you know if you if you're worried about decompensation which you should be if they're if they're a cirrhotic and they're having a variceal bleed then you need to do the other points as per the kind of SG compensated cirrhosis bundle to make sure you're looking for any causes of decompensation, which you've talked about, or because of any sequelae of that, so ascites, uh, coagulopathy, encephalopathy, and jaundice are the important ones there. So, you know, the, I think it's it's good that you had a very nice common stem at the beginning, and now we're kind of getting into the slightly more nitty gritty of it, which is which can be slightly challenging. The other thing to say as well is, is that now that we're kind of at this point where you're coming towards the management section, at any point during this, if you're in the interview situation, you can reference the British Society of Gastroenterology Upper GI Bleed bundle, which you can all Google and read about, and it talks about the four R's and talks about how to assess them and how to move forward with it. It's a very basic level. It doesn't really talk about any of the kind of details of management, but it's about the the general physician and for juniors to understand when to think about GI bleed and how to keep these people alive to the point of of definitive therapy. So I think now if we go to management of, of upper GI bleeding, the thing to say with this as well is that, again, there's a common stem, but it will start to branch off and to kind of, uh, variceal versus non-variceal and the only thing i would add to the end of before you're talking about management or kind of in the investigation section where this in an interview is you is using scoring systems to assess the severity of these things so the commonest one is the glasgow blatford score that gives you a good indication of how likely this patient is to need an inpatient endoscopy if the score is zero or one <clears throat> excuse me then you can think about an outpatient management if they're stable and if the you know if you're happy that they're that they're going to do well with with a scope within two weeks but if the score is higher than that then the evidence is that they need to stay in hospital for a, for an acute acute admission and, and an urgent upper gi endoscopy for that but that will kind of that will kind of the scoring systems can be useful in kind of gauging and directing your management of these bleeds so Karithi, if you want to go on to the management of these of upper gi bleeding we'll go through there yeah sure so moving on to management of the acute upper GI bleed, as Michael pointed out, there are going to be universal points, which is applicable for both variceal and non-variceal bleeding. And then we will move on to a different management approach to the two different types of bleeding. In terms of the universal point for both types of bleeding, as Michael mentioned, you're going to be referencing the upper GI bleed bundle here. Obviously, the first thing is to resuscitate the patient Uh before even thinking about endoscopy. You're going to go through again your A to E process, making sure they have been fluid resuscitated. They've got good IV access. You're going to be resuscitating them with crystalloids. There's no any evidence of usage of pass in the acute setting for an upper GI bleed. Um, and based on the hemoglobin and whether they've got a very seal or non-very seal, you're going to be transfusing them. Uh, the target is um, 80 to 100 for hemoglobin, uh, obviously going to be aiming more than 80 if you've got any underlying ischemic heart disease. It's part of your resuscitations, as we mentioned before, if they've got ongoing hematemesis or any evidence of low GCS, you should be getting an anesthetic review to consider considering an airway support for the endoscopy. 
so that's for the resuscitation bed. Uh, in terms of next part would be correction of coagulopathy. So based on the INR, uh, you're going to be correcting them, especially with ongoing GI bleed. Uh, this can be done via vitamin K and discussing with hematologists uh, to issues FFP. Uh, if they've got low fibrinogen, then they should be eligible for cryoprecipitate. And if they've got low platelets and ongoing GI bleed, especially platelets less than 50, appreciate this can differ from trust to trust, they should, uh, should also be getting a platelet transfusion. Uh, next step is, as Michael mentioned, you're going to be calculating the risk score. Uh, as Michael mentioned, if you've got GBS of 0 to 1, they can be safely managed as an outpatient. Uh, whereas if it's 2 or more, uh, then they should ideally be admitted for an inpatient uh, management. If the patient is only antiplatelets or anticoagulant, so especially if you're on any DOAC or clopidogrel, they should be withheld, especially if you've got ongoing GI bleed. The BSG bundle says patient can continue on aspirin, but all other antiplatelets and anticoagulant should be stopped. And if they've taken anticoagulant in the last 48 hours, then they, you should discuss it with the hematologist in terms of reversal agents. So hematology input would be key process here. Next, if they've got non-vericeal bleeding, if you're suspecting an ulcer, peptic ulcer disease, then they should be started on IV PPI boluses, 40 milligram BD, and uh, you could consider antimetics if they've got ongoing uh, hematemis, anosia vomiting, and also prokinetics to facilitate a better mucosal view during endoscopy. And I think the last point here is to decide on the urgency of endoscopy to be done for this group of patients. Uh, the upper GI bundle states the endoscopy should be done within 24 hours, whereas for variceal bleed, it has to be done within 12 hours. Uh, so this, uh, so patients, if they get admitted overnight, uh, so you could sort of use this time frame to decide, obviously, provided they are stable, uh, sort of to help you work out when's the best time for endoscopy. So that's the universal point, which is applicable for both variceal and non-variceal bleeding. Uh, the next sort of good points would be if you're suspecting variceal bleed in these patients and then there are additional pharmacological therapy that you should be initiating in this group of patients. The first one will be telepressant and starting dose is at two milligram QDS. Obviously you need a baseline ECG to ensure uh, there's no any ongoing ischemia as there would be a contraindication. Often patients with variceal bleed are high risk of developing sepsis, so they should be started on broad-spectrum antibiotics. And this, again, can differ from one trust to another, so I would suggest looking at local guidelines for this. And you also should be actively looking for other causes of decompensation of liver disease that could be informed, most likely to be sepsis or looking for uh, other uh, possible sort of sepsis, like uh, UTI, chest sepsis, or even SVP if you've got ascites. In terms of practical points when coming to organizing endoscopy, as mentioned a couple of times before, early ICU support should be sought if indicated. Idea, most All out of our scopes most likely will require some form of anesthetic support, especially I mentioned before, if they got low GCS due to encephalopathy, that would be an indication for intubation. If the patient, if, and also looking at the patient's hemodynamics, if you've adequately fluid resuscitate them and still not maintaining their blood pressure or heart rate, then the next step would be thinking, do they need some form of pressors to maintain their arterial pressure? 
obviously going to be liaising with the consultant or GI bleed registrar in terms of organizing the endoscopy, ensure this is done early on so that because it takes time to sort of organize this, especially during out of hours, because it's most sort of out of hours scopes are done in theaters. So you need to so liaise with the theater coordinators, the endoscopy nurse in charge. So this takes time. So ensure this is done quite early on to prevent unnecessarily unnecessary delay. And the last thing would be consenting the patient for OGD. Obviously, if they're able to consent, then they should be explained about the risk of OGDs. So common risks of a gastroscopy would be aspiration, further bleeding, failure to control the bleeding itself with endotherapy, and a small risk of perforation and death. Obviously, if they're not able to consent, then you need to sort of discuss this with the next of kin, their family members, to tell them that they've been admitted with a GI bleed and sort of what the risk of the procedure and you need to put a consent form for. In terms of the practical points, practicalities during endoscopy, you need to find out when the patient last ate or drank. You're going to keep the patient kneeled by mouth until they get the endoscopy done. And also thinking about sedation, midazolam fentanyl and the need for monitoring for endoscopy during this part. The anesthetic support will come in handily during for these purposes. Yeah, so I think that was a very, a very good and detailed kind of walkthrough of, of managing GI bleeds. And I think particularly with the practical points at the end, because realistically they're the ones, if you're doing this in an interview setting, that will get that will make it seem like you are the one that's had experience in this. You'll know things like early liaison with the endoscopy team is important because it will delay things. And then, you know knowing the risks of an OGD you may not be able to go down there and band of Arix but you know how the procedure works you know what the risks are with it and you can explain that to to the interviewers but also to family members and the patient themselves and that will give you marks from a kind of communication standpoint there's a few bits on there that you mentioned which were which were great talking about prokinetics and and the BSG guidelines don't really talk about that but there's a the, the European Society of Gastro enterology and endoscopy so the ESGE has does say that, that it's useful and there is some evidence for it so it, these are the things you can show that you've read different sources and show that you've got more than just one kind of guideline in your brain that you understand about the, the different evidence for it and I liked the point that you made about the timing of endoscopies you know in both a practical sense as a gastroenterology registrar but 